Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's panel on mindfulness. I'm fortunate to chat with 50 remarkable people on my Intentional Performance Podcast. And these people have overcome adversity, thought deeply about leadership, and they've set up intentional lives for themselves to perform at their best. And our panelists today certainly fit that bill. Uh, the coronavirus has created challenges for so many throughout the world. And it's my hope that these panel discussions will help those in need. Well, everyone on the panel has many of the way of thinking about mindfulness in my life and in my career. Um, so while we may understand what mindfulness is, I'm excited to chat with each of these panels and use it and really get into the weeds on, on how, how we can leverage this during this chaotic time and for many people are, are going through crises. Um, so with that, I'd like for each of our panelists to introduce themselves, starting with Keith. Yes. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. Um, Pleasure to be here with, with all of you. Um, who am I? Well, I've started as an NFL football player. I was an all-pro linebacker. Um, I went from Texas A&M to New Orleans Saints to the Texans to the Jaguars. And the Jaguars was where my journey really began for me. Uh, I, was, I suffered paralysis uh, through a tackle uh, being made, like I've made millions of times. And I ended up on my back. And through the process, being diagnosed with a spinal contusion, my C2 through C4, been fused uh, in the hospital while being paralyzed and going through that. Um, a nurse, she taught me, she taught me the concept of conscious breathing, which later led to meditation, which found me here with mindfulness. And from that, that sent me on my journey of just discovery, the inquiry of, of questioning and answering. Uh, and it's been an amazing journey that's led us from the, the White House to the UN and to just all over the world. I'm just getting my honorary doctorate here um in africa but the trip is delayed but you know because of the coronavirus and so forth but it's just been a, a tremendous whirlwind i look at mindfulness uh, or the whole concepts of self-mastery self-development and allowances of ourselves to uh grow and, and attain our greatest potential is it's awareness is it's, it's really the thirst for knowledge um you know to go and get it to research it because it is an investment that we I feel we must take, um, you know, when we want to make these, you know, make an impact in the world or, or, or do the things that we ultimately desire. So it's just been um, a tremendous um, attribute to my life. And I have a book coming out, The Mindfulness Playbook. And again, we can talk about that as well, but grateful <laughs> to be here. Thanks, Grateful Keith. to have you. Yeah, thank you. Stu, why don't you go next? Hi, I'm uh, Stu Singer. I am a performance psychologist by training and trade and the teams and organizations and, and uh, programs that I work with and the individual athletes and, and performers that I work with. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest thing and, and kind of what led me to be on this panel and with the use of mindfulness is over the years as a performance psychologist, I think the biggest thing that I was always in quest of first as an athlete and then now, and then as a coach, and then finally in, in this role was that we discuss so often the what we should do with our mind. And I always felt that it was, um, it fell short, like it felt short for me uh, when I was trying to, to develop mental skills and it felt short uh, as a coach and even it, it fell short, I think, as I was early in my career. And then at some point, um, and I'd been aware, I'd been 
you know, off and on practicing mindfulness since probably about 2006, roughly. Um, and, but really bad uh, to start. Really, when I say off and on, it was a lot more off than on. And, uh, and but over time started to kind of get it a little bit. And then um, at some point I said, man, this is the actual how of training uh, our brain. And I'm sure we'll get deeper into this as, as we go. But to me, that was really what brought me to this. And it was my, my way of, of kind of giving back to the, to the clients and athletes that I work with to say, let's, you understand training, um, you know, your body, and, and this is a way for you to train your mind. So, so that was probably what brought me to the practice most deeply. And certainly I'm, I use it every day to, to make sure that I'm on point as best as I can be as well. Fantastic. Steve, why don't you take us home? Where to start? Well, first and foremost, it's, it's great to meet the other panelists and, and thanks for tuning in. Um, my name is Steve Schlafman. Uh, I typically live in New York City, though, with the coronavirus. Uh, my family and I have escaped. We're about two hours north of the city right now in the woods and um, unbelievable, surreal and crazy times. Um, I have spent almost the last two decades in, in technology. So the first decade of my career was spent uh, at a number of great organizations, first Microsoft, then um, a number of startups, and, and, and then the Kraft Group uh, and the New England Patriots. Uh, where I was, uh, where I was helping with a range of strategic projects uh, at the Craft Group, and um, I, I really had a, 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 a twist of, of fate and luck that brought me back to New York, um, where I became a professional venture capitalist. So for the last decade, I have worked at some of the top venture capital funds in New York City, uh, pre predominantly early stage, which means seed and Series A. Um, and about six years ago, even though I've been practicing yoga myself since 2003 when I moved to, to Seattle, about six years ago, um, I was on vacation and stumbled across the book, The Power of Now. And I read it in the course of two days and it just completely knocked me on my ass. And I came back from that trip and called a friend that I knew had a pretty consistent uh, meditation mindfulness practice. And I said, I, I really need to learn how to bring this into my life on a daily basis. And that, that was six years ago. And my life is radically transformed since um, about nine months from there, I got sober. Um, about 18 months from that moment, I quit my job as a, as a, as a VC um, and decided to be a coach. And for the last three years, I work predominantly with founders and CEOs of early stage companies. So anywhere from C to Series C. Um, so, you know, in, in, in other words, uh, basically for anywhere from five, two to five to call it 150 employees. And uh, I also operate a small angel fund where I invest uh, a small amount of capital and, and play the role of mentor, advisor, coach, evangelist as opposed to institutional investor. So what I like to say is, you know, my life's work for certainly in the next 10 years and hopefully much longer is to help founders bring their wildest visions to reality and help them evolve into extraordinary leaders. And so that's my purpose in life. And it's great to be with you all. And I can't wait to dive in with the other panelists.
Awesome. Awesome. So Stu mentioned the how and being obsessed with the how. So Keith, I'm curious for you. Uh, Steve mentioned yoga, and I know yoga has been a, a big part of your experience as well. But Keith, I'd love to start with you and learning about how you leverage mindfulness, how you think about it. Um, what does it actually look like for you? Oh, it just, it looks like a lot of things. I mean, you know, there's a saying that you can't speak someone into liberation. You must have the embodiment. And that's why the physical aspect of it, like, you know, we talk about surrender, but when have you ever been in a position where you've accepted the idea of surrendering and not just the idea, but physically. Mm -hmm. So these dynamics have to be played out as, as experiences so we can attain the knowledge. Uh, so that's how it's done. And, and by creating new experiences, you leverage, uh, the intel, uh, I mean, the, what we call the senses or what I call intelligence. And we begin to, as we have new experiences, we take it all in. We can, we can absorb it. It's like a concept of just uh, being in that moment, being present, where we have to fully be engaged and our full intelligence is engaged with it. So um, that's kind of what it means to me. And Stu, how about you? Yeah, you know, I... I, again, going back to kind of how it you know, kind of ended up becoming such an essential part of, of my practice and, and in that how is that, you know, I, I think everything that we do comes back to attention. Ultimately, if we're if 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 our attention isn't there, first of all, we can't we, you know, as Keith was saying, we can't we can't even be with it. We, we can't absorb it because our attention's not there. But not only does is it attention but it's also what type of attention right so what are we paying attention to and by what we pay attention to ultimately becomes the experience that we have of whether it be our entire life if you want to go big picture or small like right now in this very difficult time what are we choosing to place our attention on and it's okay by the way to place our attention on fear it's okay to place our attention on some of the anxiety that comes from this or the unknown certainly that we're all experiencing but the other end of it is is that but we, if we stay in that too long um that's when we can probably start to feel pretty bad and overwhelmed and so what else are we paying attention to the opportunity that we have in front of us um, in terms of spending time with our family of slowing down um, of choosing some gratitude and what we're grateful for all these things are the the type of attention that we're paying and i know for me and i don't want to speak for anybody else here on the panel but i know for me before my practice became legitimately the the cornerstone of of how I live, first of all, then teaching others, um, I probably was pretty random and not not, not always very good at my attention. I I, I probably uh, you know as we understand great you know more about our mind is that our mind is designed to to drift towards what's scary and and challenging and so if we don't have an understanding of that if we can't see where our attention flows to it's going to be hard for us to shift that that place of focus and so for me that's the core of my practice steve i'd love to get your perspective on this as well yeah for me for me the how is one that you know the two words that come to mind are connection and attention 
And I think there's a connection with the self and, and certainly with the external environment. And then the attention is about, you know, dropping in and, and sort of, there's a saying that I have, which is like, and, and, and I very much learned this as a coach, which is, and I work with founders on this is like, you can listen with your, with your ears, right. With your ears, but also with your eyes. And there's so much intelligence um, that we that we can tap into when we when we listen with our eyes, when we listen with our ears, when we go into our bodies. And so, the the how for me, and from a very practical standpoint, is certainly daily meditation every single day. And I often, when I work with with leaders, I say like the the practice of meditation isn't about the actual the practice when you're on the mat. It's around sharpening your, your, your senses so that when you're off the mat, you can be more effective, aware, connect. And I, I, and so there's the how is like the actual like practice of on a daily basis, but then there's even when I'm off the mat. And for me, the thing that I try to connect to in order to like tap into this intelligence of eyes, ears, body, other others you know sensory um senses that are coming in is um this idea of um the breath right and using the breath as a tool to unlock that intelligence whether i'm in a coaching session or whether i'm with my daughter or in any time i find find myself drifting stress anxiety um clinging on to a, a pleasurable thought back to breath. And I don't try to throw those, those, those thoughts and perceptions and feelings away, but I just note them and simply note them and, and just try to try to show up that way. And, and the last thing I'll say is I love this uh, metaphor. I, I've done some training with this great organization called Everyman and Dan Doty, who's one of the founders uses this analogy. I'm, I personally don't hunt myself but being up in the woods when you're really still, if you're hunting, right? Hunting is a form of meditation. And when you're out in the woods, oftentimes you're not fixed on one specific point, right? You're sort of just grazing and your, your, your perception is open and your, your, your ears, your, your hearing, right? And you're just, you're, you're sort of like casting a net to be able to catch and, and then be able to divert the attention. And so I love that. Like I try to see like every day when I'm out, whether it's a coaching session or meeting with an entrepreneur, it's how do I like expand that net so that I can tap into all this intelligence around us and inside myself. It's interesting for me because <clears throat> I've made a distinction between mindfulness and meditation that's been helpful for me. And I heard a lot of you say the practice. And when I hear the practice, I go to meditation. I go to the action of sitting silently or whatever you're choosing to do. There's so many different ways to meditate. Um, and then mindfulness for me is a framework and sort of what you're talking about, Steve, of, of just noticing, observing, and, and being. I'm curious to get your insight as far as meditation and mindfulness and we can popcorn around. We don't have to go in any sort of order. So if one of you wants to, to jump on that and if you distinguish between the two or if they're married or interwoven and I'm just curious to get your perspectives on it. Well, I, I'd like to say something on that. You know, 
mindfulness is the codified way that we want to live. It's the intention. It's like our desire. And meditation is the way we respond. It's like we have the saying in football. We said we, we think we think on the weekday and we react on Sunday. It's like you do your due diligence. You do your contemplation. You realize, okay, what am I creating right now? And in my practice or in my day-to-day is my meditation. What's not meditation? You know, you have an intent of breathing. Breathing is 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 a processing mechanism and then through our and, and through our intention we have the way we respond and 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 that's how i see it so i'd be curious to know how you guys see it yeah very much the same as is what you guys are saying is that i i talk to my athletes all the time about um the difference between mindfulness practice which to me is the 10 minutes where um for me 10 minutes that 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 I practice or that I ask them to practice daily. And then there's living uh, or performing mindfully. Um, and those, those are two different things. One is the act of, of, of doing, then the other one is a way of being. And, and how do I experience moment after moment after moment uh, and be able to see it clearly for whatever it is, whether it is a difficult moment uh, or, or, or it's, it's a great one, but, but being able to see it and experience it in the moment and have a little bit of wiggle room between um, reacting to the moment or responding to the moment. Um, and that's, I think, the, as you get deeper into your practice and you have that, you know, for me, it was, I, I can't remember how many days, but it wasn't more than a few days in when I really got serious about it, that all of a sudden I was experiencing something that was just middle of the day, may have been family related. Um, and I, and I felt whatever brewing up reaction wise in me and I didn't have to go with it. Mm. I I recognized that it was not going to be helpful. And I was able just to kind of have that little bit of tiny space between the what was happening and how I was then going to deal with it and manage it. And to me, that's living mindfully, that's performing mindfully, which is different than the 10 minutes that I sit in stillness. And those are completely, they're connected because that's how you, you the, the training of it. Uh, but then it's, it's a way of life. It's a way of being. Yeah, I would, I would, I would just add that for me, when people ask me, what type of meditation I practice, I will say mindfulness because um, the, the, the technique is, is a mindfulness-based approach to meditation. It's uh, anapana, which is following the breath and a lot of body scanning and sort of tuning into the emotional state. And um, from a Western perspective, very much, you know, so it's anapana and vipassana, though, you know, to, to Westerners, that's considered mindfulness meditation. I started out uh, using a form of meditation that was transcendental meditation, which is a, a very different technique, which I personally have different results from. Um, but I, for me, I can only speak based on my own experience, but the, the practice of mindfulness meditation allows me to live a life more mindfully when I'm off the mat. And I think Stuart really hit it on the head, which is like one of my favorite books of all time is Man's Search for Meaning. And so when, when people ask me, well, what are the benefit of, of having a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice? I say it's like this, this quote where it says, in between a stimulus and a response, 
is is a space and that space basically allows you to determine how you choose to respond and um you know i think that that for me you know when when i heard stuart said that i I lit up because um for me that that is that's mindfulness um at work when you're out in the world and you're living your life and there's you know all these different experiences and emotions and perceptions hitting us but it allows us to stop for a second and just really tune into to what our experience is so I, I i don't think i have any more to add because i think between you know keith and stuart i think they nailed it well the interesting thing if i can come behind that is that how i look at it as i say well life has no meaning we give meaning to life mm. and by that we are here to uh, solve problems uh in the way that I do it, like say, for instance, one of the questions I ask people, you know, since a lot of talk about breath, for instance, I ask, well, what, what happens when you breathe? And what, and what you'll find, even the, the meditators, they've never asked that simple question. And, and what we know is the more you can conceptualize something, the more it can be used as a tool. So when mm-hmm. I contemplate the idea, the mechanics of what's happening in my body when I breathe, the logic behind it, oh, I get it, you know. Uh, and, and just for the sake of the, the audience, because, you know, we're going through this, um, who, who may be tuning in, is, and, and this is what I learned in the hospital, very interesting, as a, an athlete who's breathing and, and, and felt that they could do anything physically possible, uh, but I didn't know what happened when I breathed. So on the inhale, the diaphragm pushes down. On the exhale, it pushes up. So what's stagnant or what's naturally moving is our heart, in our lungs, they move naturally. They don't need our assistance. But what becomes stagnant is the internal organs, you know. And then when we realize the emotion behind the organs, anger is in the liver, fears in the kidneys, worries in the gut. So the dynamic of that, when we're breathing ten thousand breaths a day, we're massaging the internal organs. So now we're more in a contemplative mode instead of a reactionary mode, and it changes the whole dynamic, the whole chemistry of our, what we call our reaction or our response. In, in, in regards to that, it, for me, it, it, it sounds even more like we begin to create an emotional maturity through that process at the same time. So, See, I'm interested, do you then, is, because everything that I do is trying to then take the, you know, the, probably the Eastern philosophical, you know, um, ideals and ideas of the practice and making them digestible for people who may not be interested in hearing it through that framework. And so what hit me when you said that, when you were talking about the breath and kind of the stimulation of, of internal is that to me becomes a, a, a physical workout by, by describing it that way. It's almost like a building of a skill. It's building of, of a, that, that's a workout. Um, and I'm just interested to know, is that how you, it, it, would you even frame it that way? Or was that completely not how you would think of it in that, in those terms? I would definitely frame it that way. And reason being is because the dis-ease in the body happens through the emotional response. And that's why we covered the liver being anger, the kidney fear, the gut is worry. So these dynamics are fueling our consciousness, is fueling our reaction. And when these or parts of our bodies are not getting fed, not getting nurtured, well, then the natural response is going to be that. So it's just a mechanical aspect of yeah, bringing it all together and seeing how it works. And again, now when I'm in my moment, when I'm in the situation that life presents me, 
now I have something that I can really go to and I can understand why I do it. It's like we're talking about the how, but here's why. So we add in the dimensions to our discovery. Uh -huh. So it's pretty so cool. So it's funny yeah. because in my, as I present it, I always try to lay it out as a framework of that the how for me is greater than the why, which is then greater than the what. But mm. the reality is so much of what we do in life is we start with the what and we kind of let people to their own devices with the what. And to me, that's the least of my, I want to know why, why, what does it do? What's going on inside of me? What's going on up, up here? So that's important because there's a science of what's happening, right? But even then, more importantly, is now that I understand why, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to train this? And, and to me, again, that's, that was my, you know, that was the jumping off point for me is once I connected those pieces, it was life altering is, is the best way to say it, it was life altering at that point. Right. Interesting. So, so hearing, hearing you talk, Stuart, um, and, and, you know, I, I obviously spend a lot of time working with type A uh, founders that are very logical in their thinking. Um, and, you know, for me, like I, I try to go into neuroscience and it sort of ex the explanation of like why breath matters. And when we're, we find ourselves in these charged situations where, you know, maybe our sympathetic nervous system is kicked in and we're in fight or flight mode, you know, that closes off our brain. Like our executive decision-making functions basically go offline. So we can't be creative. We can't access our, our best thinking. Um, we can't make rational decisions. And so the, one of the best tools um, to start to get your parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system firing is by tuning into the breath, yeah. right? It's, it, it naturally relaxes the body. And so from that point, you know, once you, once you tap in and you, you allow yourself to breathe, for a certain period of time, you can actually make better decisions. You can actually um, be a lot more effective. And and in my, I, I recently took an amazing class online uh, with an organization called Coaches Rising, which was the the science of uh, the uh, the neuroscience of change. Um, highly recommended for those that are interested. And I love this saying, which is like, you know, if you think about the amount of nerve. Uh, endings in our body and or just the nerve matter um, you know certainly we have our brain but there's you know there's there's arguably just as much um, nerve matter under our necks you know starting with the vagus nerve which is a massive nerve that comes down your neck and into your body and there are just as much nerve and right nerve matter in your in your lower body than in your brain and why is that because we've evolved over long periods of time and we've developed this, this body intelligence. So what I like to say is like, if we don't allow ourselves to tap into our breath and our bodies, then we're basically not allowing ourselves to tap into our full intelligence. And if you think about there's, there's obviously um, intellectual intelligence, right? Or, you know, I, IQ, and then there's EQ. And I'm hearing a lot of people say like the next evolution is going to be this like somatic or body intelligence because, uh, you know, for, for a, a long time, like we haven't allowed ourselves to like really go into our bodies and tap in and there's so much intelligence here. So, you know, I, I like to always go back to the science because I think a lot of the people that I like to work with 
um, are science geeks and they, they, they want to know the logical ra reason as to why this actually matters. Well, yeah, here's the thing, because when we talk about the nutrition to these organs that fuel the emotional response, that's just it. It's your nervous system. And when mm. that nervous system is cut off from oxygen, cut off from the blood flow, well, it mm. can't get fed. So therefore, the reactionary is going to be there. So, and you tie, and you tighten up and you constrict and exactly. So the left brain person will get that totally. Um, also, when you talk about uh, you know science, think well, let's think of this since today the coronavirus. Well, what was it Emoto in the late eighteen hundreds uh, theorem that uh, viruses cannot sustain in an oxidized environment. And so what we're talking about with oxygen is pH, potential hydrogen. But what we're familiar with is the MPH. So the concept of processing, you know, we're slowing things down. So now when you put it in regards to athletics, you put it in regards to respond time, well, we get an opportunity to slow things down, process it, make sense of it. And then with the mindfulness practice, we put our intention out. We put our, our, uh, our uh, constructive behavior with it or response with it. And, and, it, and it even goes into another dynamic. I'll say this one more thing and I'll, uh, how we define words and how we look at words and mm. see in, in regards of conditioning, these words have been explained and been told to us, but we've never divided into how it works for us and what makes sense and articulates us truly. Mm. We're taking on the burdens of this, this world concept and it's not really reflecting us solely. And therefore we get and we respond uh, and diagnose our, and misdiagnose ourselves with these things of anxieties and stresses and things like that when it's really something else. So I'll, I'll let you No, it's, it's so interesting because at the end of the day, we're all connected by what we're saying. We're, we're, we, we may have our own practice. We may have our own way of articulating it, but at the end of the day, it's all connected. And the reality is, is that we are taking this thing that's about, not about, but, but, but is very connected with the idea of stillness which seems like non-doing. And we are in a world, all of us are in a world of a bunch of doers, of people that are on the, the end of, I want to achieve, I want to grow, I want to become better, I want to win, I want to uh, make a lot of money, I, you know, whatever it is. And these are very doing things. And so the, their minds are very connected to those. And so to talk about this, I feel like we almost have to talk about the science because without it, it may seem too to somewhere out there for the for the person that just no no I need if I if I if I can squeeze in another doing that's what I'm going to do. Um, I ultimately do explain mindfulness as doing. It's not that it's it's not passive. It's actually active, engaged. But but you have to almost go to the science. And I do a little bit um, when I talk about the science and the neuropsychology of the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I rename the amygdala, the gorilla, and I, and I rename <laughs> the, 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 the prefrontal cortex as the human. And a lot, and you know, and I say in a hand to hand fight, who wins always the gorilla, right? So, if you don't want the gorilla to hijack in those moments where you have to have this laser-like ability to be aware of what's happening and what's needed, then you're gonna have to learn how to tame that part of the brain. And we know it to be true, that it does tame the amygdala. It, it brings it down and it makes the prefrontal cortex that much stronger. And so again, from a very science 
aspect, from a very functional aspect, we can talk about it like that. And then we can teach the practice um, of doing and why and why the repetition and how important it is to be something that we do daily, not just kind of haphazard. Um, it all comes out once, but you have to give a framework for it. Cause I, I, I agree with you, you know, ultimately the people that we're working with in all these environments are people that just want to move, move, move and gain and grow and, and get somewhere. And it feels uh, counterintuitive for them until they understand it from that aspect. And, and, I, and I get that. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I mean, I, I, um, you know, here's the interesting thing is like, you can, you know, we, we as, as, as coaches and, and helpers can talk about the science and the, the, the reasons why someone should adopt a practice. Uh, but what I found is that uh, there, there needs to be the desire, right? And there, there needs to be, you know, as John Kabat-Zinn, uh, he wrote a book called, um, you know, wherever you go, there you are. It's, it's on my bedside right now. And I've been reading it a lot and he talks about, you need to have a vision, right? And for me, I ultimately committed to meditation largely because I wanted to get sober and I wanted to ultimately have a better life. And I used that as a tool to fuel my, my practice to the point where I, when I, I, I became ready um, once I had spent enough time with myself. And, you know, I often hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, I've tried meditating. It doesn't work for me. I can't, I have all these thoughts running through my head. Like I can't sit still. And you're like, like exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and exactly. you know, I've been, pre I've been prescribed Adderall. I had ADHD as a kid. Um, and I can sit for an hour and meditate. And that doesn't mean that it's a cessation of thoughts and experiences that my mind is quiet, far from it. And, you know, my older brother, who's, a, who's in the hedge fund world in New York, you know, he's the last person I thought would, would, would take up meditation. And he and I were talking a few months ago, and he's like, but there are some days where I just have these amazing meditations where my mind is clear and I feel like I've dropped into my body and I'm transcending. And there are other days where I just, I, it's a shit show and there's all these thoughts coming in and out and it's a mess. And I said, well, like, let's use the analogy of the weather, right? Like we go outside and it's raining, it's sunny, snowing, and we can't control that. And so uh, I guess what I'm trying to say in all this is, we at time we can't control our experience and so i think like at the end of the day having a why or a desire that you can anchor on that, that you can like anchor to or hold on to that's like what is it about meditation uh, what what is it that you actually are hoping to get out of it and then giving it the time to 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 practice and and i had a call the other day with a founder and he's like, I really want to meditate, but I struggle. And I was like, five minutes a day. Just start with five minutes a day. How, how much is five minutes a day? Because I do believe that meditation is one of those things. You know, and he, he wants to meditate because he wants to be more aware. He wants to perform better, like all these reasons. But unless you really have that inner desire um, to commit to it, um, you won't see results because this is a practice where there, it is compounding. And the more you give to it, the more, the more you see from it. Anyhow. Keith, 
I want to get your thoughts, but I'm also going to throw a question your way. So feel free to riff on what they're talking about. But there's also a curiosity that I have right now is, as Stu talked about the space between, and then Steve summarized it and going back to Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, I was right there with the two of you. So uh, I'm curious to get, Keith, your perspective on handling space and isolation when you're in the hospital and you're not sure if you're ever going to be able to walk again um, and how you're able to handle that. And once Keith is done, Schlaff, Steve goes by Schlaff a lot. So Steve, Schlaff, whatever we're going to call you. Um, we've spent a lot of time together talking and I know you've done uh, how many day retreats in isolation and silence, uh, like long periods where you've gone off and, and done isolation and, and silent retreats. So I want to get Keith, your perspective is, you know, you made this tackle and it's not something to, to Steve's point. It's not something you wanted. If you had your druthers, you would continue to play and not go through that paralysis. It's not something that you set out for. Whereas Steve, you actually set out and said, Hey, I want to have this space in this, this isolation. So I'm curious to get Keith, your perspective on when you're, your body was, your physical was sort of taken away from you and what that was like, because I think that's similar to what some people are going through right now in, in their own life. Uh, they'd rather be at work or they'd rather be on vacation or whatever they were supposed to be doing right now. And people are telling them they have to stay at home. I'm curious to get your perspective. And then Steve, you decided to go into that path. So I'd love to hear you all riff on that in the context of mindfulness or, or whatever context you want to take it in. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, there's a saying that comes to mind is like when you squeeze, when you squeeze oranges, you get orange juice. And, and so when they squeeze you in this isolation is a type of squeeze, you get you. And that you has been reaching out to you the whole time, but we've ignored it. That's the second question I ask people is, when did you first realize that you had a relationship going on with yourself? Mm. And you've been in this body the whole time and the body's been communicate it's been talking to you it's been like giving you this sensation it's, it has pain over here but we ignore it and 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 in my opinion those are the reasons why a lot of people have a hard time meditating because they're trying to it's like any other relationship you hadn't talked to it in 10 years and you come up like oh let's just love each other let's just breathe with each other the body's like well who are you i don't i don't know you and it doesn't trust you at this point either so it's like this is a dynamic that's that's going on and and the body just wants to be heard. The body just wants, which is you, just wants to be seen first by you, acknowledged first by you. And that creates the complication. That's the ripple effect that I, mm. that I see that we kind of miss. And we go into these other things because we're trying to fill these so-called voids, not realizing the human that we are and to develop that. As I see myself, I'm the human. I, I, I'm, I'm in the practice of being more human with the capacity to be an athlete, with the capacity to be an author, whatever it is that I choose to do. But those things don't make me, they don't break me either. Mm. You know, so that's just the goal in mind. This is the idea that I, sh I share with mindfulness. But Keith, I just want to stay with you for a minute. You're mm -hmm. laying on that bed. You've made your living uh, and been, you know, one of the top performers in the world at something. Like you worked your ass off to get to that level. Um, and now you're laying on a hospital bed. I'm sure on Sundays you felt like Superman flying around hitting people. Now you're not able to walk. So you've got space, right? Like there's a whole lot of space. And yeah. I think there's a lot of people right now who are used to being a Superman at their craft or Superwoman at their craft. And now they're like, stay at home with your kids or, or stay at home by yourself. And they're, 
they're struggling with that. So I'm curious when you're, when you were laying there to just talk about that struggle and that experience of what you went through. And, and perhaps you talked about the breath work being part of your, um, rehabilitation, but talk about what it's like to be on that bed and, um, maybe to feel a little bit in despair. Well, I mean, that first, you know, time, that first part of the time, you know, you go through the basic depressions and things like that. But then you go through the next moment of realizing that you've been feeling certain ways already for a long time. Again, you just ignored it. Like, I mean, when I look back, I mean, how can you just get excited about hitting somebody all day for, for year after year after year? At some point you've, and I had come to myself, you know, I always say those moments when you're in the bedroom alone on the side of the bed and you're sitting contemplating to get up the next day to go and do it again. It's like those moments come like, man, I don't, I'm not into this. I don't feel like doing this. This is not funny anymore, but we do it anyway. And those things that are pushing us, in my opinion, equate to those things that we're doing to make us feel whole, to make us feel justified, relevant to whatever these things are. And in my opinion, a lot of those are superficial uh, and they don't really fulfill our hearts because we excel as this character, but the rest of the rest of the part of ourselves is depleted. It's, it's a no-go, it's nothing there. There's no substance there. And um, for me, I, um, I started to realize that. And, um, and through the experience also, there's a really profound book uh, that got me into learning who J. Krishnamurti was. And it was mm. a book from uh, Eric Fromm, The Art of Loving. And it began mm. to make me see my condition more as, uh, as more of a, 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 a psychology, like a science, instead of more of the emotional response. I started to see how I used to say I love football. And I loved it to a point of what it gave me. But the reality of if that's how I view love, well, then do you want that kind of love in your life? <laughs> you know, how, how, how sane is that kind of love? You know, it's like, so these dynamics and it just begin to really reflect on and contemplate. And, and I begin to answer those questions of what I truly wanted going forward. So that's what I, that's how I took it. Awesome. And Steve, talk about your experience being in isolation and what came up for you and, and what that was like for you. Um, the last two weeks have been a roller coaster, honestly, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I should preface it by saying that, um, I have it really easy. Um, you know, we're very, very fortunate to have left the city and I work for myself and I, I generate my an, an income and, um, been fortunate to save. And so, um, like it's definitely a trying time for a lot of people. And I recognize that. Um, I would say we left the city two weeks ago. I have dealt with what I think is pretty severe anxiety for almost the last two months uh, about this virus. I actually tweeted this um, not too long ago, uh, but uh, I, I took a picture of a journal entry that I, I made on January 31st. My wife and I were going to New Orleans and I said like, what's going on in China? just doesn't feel normal. And I'm really afraid that it's going to come here. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we saw it coming and, and it's like, you know, you're sort of watching a tidal wave come at you knowing that it's going to hit and all the people aren't really paying attention to this tidal wave. And, but you can see it and living in New York city, which, you know, it makes me so sad to say, say this, but you know, it's going to be ground zero. And we have lots of friends that are entrepreneurs that, you know, 
own a variety of businesses that are, you know, that are going to be dramatically impacted. I have friends that are laying off, you know, all of their, like their entire staffs. Um, you know, I have friends who have already lost parents. Um, and so, you know, for me, I've, I've struggled with the anxiety of not only what's going on in the world and like holding that in my body, but also, um, anxiety about getting sick myself. And, um, you know, I was having some pretty severe, um, symptoms all last week, cold, like symptoms, caught like mild cough, sore throat, couldn't breathe. It felt like I, I smoked like two packs of cigarettes every day. And this happened for like 12 days where I literally couldn't even get a full breath of air. And I talked to my doctor on Friday and he said, you know, I think it's anxiety. And, um, have you ever, you know, been diagnosed? I said, well, I've had mild anxiety. So, you know, I think there's like been just a whole range of emotions. My wife has had to let, you know, she, she runs a company herself. She had to let a bunch of her employees go. And so, you know, I think there's just like so much like shame, like, um, I would say, you know, certainly sadness, anxiety. I think there's like certainly a level of guilt that I'm feeling right now, not being in the city and feeling like I'm able to help and contribute to what's going on in the world. And, you know, being a privileged white man that I am like, you know, and that there's going to be a, there's a lot of people out of work and a lot of families are going to be impacted. Like, you know, I'm definitely sitting and feeling that guilt. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, there are times where I'm trying to feel hopeful. Like I'm trying to view this as an opportunity to like reset and like refocus and spend time with my family. And so like there are times where I, I can actually like have some positivity, but I'm experiencing the full human range of emotions right now. And, you know, that's, that's just what I'm experiencing, but it's everything from guilt to, to, to fear, to, to sometimes optimism, but it's, it's a dark time. And, you know, just, it, I'm sad because I can't, like, I can't go home. Like, I don't, I don't, we, like, I, I left all, I mean, so much stuff back in the city and like, I don't know if we're ever going to come back and like, well, I think we'll, we'll the world is going to bounce back from this, no doubt. But the reality is, is New York's going to be ground zero. And my guess is we're probably not going to get to go home for two, three, four months. And that just makes me sad because I love the city. It's a big part of my life. And it's just, I, I know the city will bounce back. I know the country will bounce back, but it's just, it's, you know, really has me sad right now. And I really appreciate you sharing it because I think it's sort of why I started with the intro that I did, which is everybody's human and everyone's experiencing different levels of this and your experience is your experience, my experience, is my experience, and there's not a good or bad or right or wrong. It's, it's your experience. And, and Stu, I'm curious to hear your experience. So what I'm thinking of is like, how are we, how are we dealing with the space? Because I think we all now have space, whether we want it or not, we have space to ruminate in our own thought. We have space to be with our kids. We have space to be with our spouse. We have space to be with ourselves. And I think for a lot of people, being in that space has felt uncomfortable. And so I'm curious to hear for you personally, how are you dealing with more space? Yeah, I mean, everything that everybody said is certainly at some point um, I've been there and, and you use the word discomfort. Um, and, you know, I that's how I would frame a, a lot of the isolation part and, and, and what we're going through and, and how it connects back to my, my own practice. And then again, what I teach and is, 
that so much of our discomfort, um, and so we can talk about that in terms of physical discomfort um, when we're training and we're in pain um, and we need to kind of be in pain and continue knowing that that pain's not um, hurtful. It, it, you know, it's not, it's not injury. It is part of the process. Um, and, and so much of it is because we want to escape it. So if we go back to yoga practice and we talk about, well, what do we say when I have very, very tight hamstrings? So when I'm in a pose that, that puts me where my, my hamstrings are burning, I can sit there and say, God, I want to be out of this. How much longer? Why do I have to hold this? Right? So I'm, I want to escape the discomfort that I'm in. Or we say, focus on your breathing right now. Mm. Breathe. And when I do that, when I can really shift my attention into, no, let me focus into my breath. It makes me stop wanting to escape that feeling. And it makes me say, this is exactly how I'm supposed to be feeling, right? That's, that's part of it is that discomfort, being able to, to sit in that discomfort. And once I do that, typically what happens is I can either hold it longer or sometimes I can even go deeper into that stretch and i think that's metaphoric for what we're going through right now is that it should feel steve like what you're saying and i know that as you were saying that i'm like damn you know i feel like i've been doing a good job with this i feel like i've been able to reframe it in a way that i'm i'm valuing the time and i'm valuing that my job right now is to is to listen to to do the social distancing, to make sure that my family is listening and doing the social, like that's our job at the moment. But it, I'd be lying to say that there's not this underlying like anxiousness around what the hell's going on and when is it going to be done and how are we going to come out of this and what's the impact going to be and all those things that are clearly should be part of it. And I think when I find myself at my best is when I can say, yes, that's the exact discomfort that I should be feeling, that it's not wrong for me to have those feelings and I can kind of reconnect with my breath and reconnect with understanding like that discomfort is what ultimately I believe is going to allow us to bounce back and not just bounce back, but like one of the things that I've been tossing around and thinking about is how freaking amazing uh, people have been and some of the things like even this Brian this idea of well okay we're isolated how do I mobilize and do something that if if just five other people listen to this we may have had a positive impact and maybe somebody says you know what I'm going to start my mindfulness practice now while we're here and that's going to be the thing that lets them manage a little bit of the anxieties that they have and then it's going to help them manage a little bit better with their family and help them manage and there's going to be a ripple effect and I'm I'm definitely spending time in the acceptance that the discomfort that we're all going through is also going to become this a little bit of this bounce back platform that I feel like we are definitely, there's going to be changes that are going to come from this that weren't the four of us. Well, maybe you guys are, you're smarter than me, uh, are already seeing and, 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 and predicting. But, but all I can say is I, I know that there are going to be positive changes that spring from this 
that we don't know quite yet, but I posited that that's what's going to happen with it. And so that's how I frame it. Can, can I just jump in? Because hearing, hearing you talk, Stuart, like one word actually came to mind, and it's something I've been trying to latch on to, which is self-care. Um, and so for me, that means like lots of meditation, trying to get in exercise. Like I need to take care of myself so I can show up and be there for my family. And like when else do I have like around the clock working from home? You know, I'm, I'm trying to like in between every meeting – do push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, even if it's just for five minutes, right? I'm just trying to get in one or two meditations a day. Like I need to take care of myself. And so I'm trying to latch on to this idea of self-care during these times because I just know I won't be able to survive them without it. Yeah, really good. For me, I live in LA. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've learned living it takes practice. It takes practice to live, but in living, we tend to focus on the the good times and all that and and but it also comes with the so-called bad in that sense the, or the the polarity of that uh and i i guess i learned it maybe i learned it just from being on the planet as i am as a black man and i've also lived in ashrams in india and in the Himalayas in november where it's cold and you got you taking a shower and the hot water is coming through this box and sometimes it heats up and sometimes it doesn't to be discomfort in, in that and to meditate for eight hours a day and just to force myself to sit and be okay with it. Uh, all these types of things contribute to me experience this in the only way I can. I can only control my response. I can't control mm -hmm. the things around me. I can only just do what I can do. And, and, and all those things is, being uh, positive, being, uh, you know, creating a, a constructive presence in the world uh, as much as I can continue to do that. And, that. and that's all we can do. And connect community. I think community is really important to be, create these bonds with our families and, and have these discussions and talk about things. And, you know, we're very fragile people. That's one thing I also learned is, you know, thinking you're all tough because you got the, the facade on and as I did when I played the game. But we're very fragile and 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 so it brings about a certain level of empathy you know okay i got this big house and i got the i got the cars but now i can't drive them i got the clothes but who's nobody you can't wear them anywhere so what's the point you know so it brings you down to to earth so to speak it grounds you to say okay now when we do move forward now what is my approach going to be you know how am i going to take it forward because Am I doing this for me? Because now, okay, well, I'm gonna wear these shoes in the house. You know, the wife's gonna wear the <laughs> shoes, the high heels in the house, or, or it's like, it's like, it just brings it to an understanding of, okay, why? Why am I doing this? And, yeah, and I, just, I wrote, I wrote down my, uh, what, have, what have I learned? Uh, mm -hmm. And I think I may have done it last week potentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that I that I wrote down was basically what you just said is how fragile everything is and how we think we are so. Uh, on it and and we have everything we got it all planned out and we have what you know this that and the other and like that everything has changed what priorities are have changed overnight and how much we don't have control of which is fine right it's so much of what 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 we come to understand through this practice is is like you said that i really can't control what happens to me i can only change uh, attempt to have some control over what my response is. Um, 
but man, when you have something like this happen and it, it's, it is completely black and white, there is no gray area. It is shut down, change, and everything that you thought was important. I work in the world of professional sports. We think that it's untouchable. And mm. overnight, it was shut down and everybody, it was, it, it, nobody be yeah, here. It went, went. And it was like, doesn't matter at all, you know, in that regard. Yeah, that, I, I, I think that Wednesday night, it was the first night we were out, we, we had left the city. And just like the, that image in my head of us leaving the city, driving through the Holland Tunnel, and then that night sitting on the couch and watching Trump's press conference and then being on Twitter and seeing the NBA shooting, shutting. It's just, it, it was so surreal. But I would say, go to your point, Stuart, about just like not like the, the sort of the fragile nature of life. Um, for me, like, I think 2020 has been just like bombarding me with that message, you know, first with Kobe right? Kobe, he's untouchable, right? right? This is Kobe yeah. Bryant. Like we're, he and I are, we're basically the same age and, you know, like Kobe was untouchable. Right. And mm. then you see this with the virus in terms of it just being in between those two lessons. It's just like, you know what? I, it, it is just so humbling how fragile all this is. And which is why, you know, for me, like being part of my meditation is just like really expressing love for myself and other people and then gratitude. And, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to at least once a week, just like send prayers and love and, you know, and express my gratitude for my family and friends, because like it is fragile. A couple of things to just summarize what I've heard from all of you and what I'm hearing from others as well. Number one is perspective. And all of you are sharing your perspectives. And I've heard a lot, I work with a lot of CEOs and executives kind of like Steve does. And the perspective that a lot of them have where they are driven to make a lot of money or they're driven you know, to their EBITDA or whatever, they're, they're focused on revenues and now they're at home and like there's a gratitude and perspective that a lot of people have that what, what's most important and, and what matters. And Keith, you're sort of hitting on that. Like, who really cares about the high heels in the house and the car and the material stuff. At the end of the day, we are being grounded with whoever we're with. And then we're using technology. I mean, FaceTime, the amount of FaceTime technology that people are leveraging, at least in my house to connect with friends or family members, or my wife connected with her high school friends and they did a happy hour, uh, you know, over remote has been, pretty magnificent. And so I think the reconnection back to what Keith was talking about with ourselves and, and who we are has been really interesting to just watch. And I think people's perspectives have shifted. The second thing I'll just talk about is a few years ago, I did a deep dive into positive psychology and positive psychology and Martin Seligman's work is really interesting. And the notion that psychology doesn't have to just be about working with people who are sick and we can think about what do we look like when we're at our best. And I did a deep dive into the science of happiness and I was fascinated by that as well. And what I came out with was not to focus on happiness, but instead focus on feeling alive and really driving into this idea of feeling alive. And Steve, to some of the feelings that you're feeling right now, I think that's part of feeling alive. Just like the feeling you had when your baby was born. Um, those are the feelings that I, I didn't know what to feel then, <laughs> but we'll talk about that on another call, but, uh, like feeling right, like fully, fully feeling the emotions and feeling alive. And even as Stu was talking about 
us getting together and doing this panel, like I feel alive doing this. I feel like I'm learning, I'm growing. And there's parts of me that are igniting. Like I get chills running up my spine. My heart is, is alive. So knowing what, what makes us feel alive and making sure that we're sort of stepping into that feeling of feeling alive. And then the last point I'll make is part of feeling alive is also the unknown. And Keith, you played on Sundays. Stu, you've worked with the Washington Wizards, Washington Mystics, Maryland women's basketball, like some of the most elite performing performers last year with the Mystics, you guys won a championship and you were on the sideline and got to feel that transaction, right? Like feel that winning. Steve, I know you're a massive Boston sports fan uh, and you guys have had plenty of winning over the last decade. Maybe, maybe not <laughs> the much, next decade, <laughs> right? Maybe too much winning for everybody else. Right? We could go eight and eight the rest of my life and I'll die a happy man. <laughs> right? And, and, and yeah. look, and I, I, I'm in Washington, D.C. and over the last two years, we've celebrated the Washington Nationals and the Washington Mystics and the Washington Capitals. And, and those feelings all are a result of the unknown. So whether you're a sports fan or you're an athlete, Keith, when you're running through the tunnel on Sunday, you don't know if you're going to win or lose the game. And that unknown is beautiful. And, you know, Steve, when the baby comes out, I don't know if you knew what the gender was, but there's an unknown that occurs with birth that is beautiful. And so I just, I, I'm, I, I sent an email to all of my clients yesterday talking about this idea of the unknown. And can we create a relationship with the unknown? Because at the end of the day, the unknown is where a lot of beautiful stuff happens. If we choose to step into it and feel it and feel it fully, including the emotions that are fearful or are anxious and are things that we might feel uncomfortable with. Um, so I, first of all, just want to thank the three of you. Um, you know, I sent you all an email a week ago and look at what we were able to create in a week. And so one of the opportunities that exists right now is people have space, uh, people have time. And I truly believe if I had emailed you all two months ago and said, hey, I want to get you together for a panel in a week, you probably would have said, oh, well, I've got a speaking gig or my team's, I got to go be with my team or I'm working on this fund. Like it probably wouldn't have happened. Uh, let's just be real. And so my hope is that in the future, we'll continue to give space to the things that we care deeply about and make us feel alive. Um, and so I want to just express my gratitude to all of you. You do have stuff that you have to do. You have families, you've got work that needs to be done, maybe meditation practices that you're shifting around to have this conversation. And I'd like to end by giving you all a platform to either promote what you're up to, um, if people want to follow you, I know you all are active on, on, on social media, uh, where people can find you. And, um, I actually want to do, let, let's hold off on that. I actually want to do one more, um, one more action before we get to that. So we'll close on that note, but before we close on that note, I want to give you all an opportunity to, to leave us with either some insight that you've gleaned from this conversation or to ask a question to somebody, um, it during that, that you've, if there's a question that you've had come up to the forefront that you've been curious to ask one of the other people on this panel, uh, and Steve, maybe we'll start with you, then we'll go to Stu, then we'll go to Keith. But Steve, if you have a question to ask somebody that you're curious about or an insight that you're taking with you going forward, and then I'll circle back and we can promote the different things that you all are up to. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to learn more about what Keith actually does. Um, you know, in terms of his work and practice, um, you know, really fascinated to see how you bring this 
to the to w- what you've learned over the years to to how you bring it to bear and and, and in service of other people. Um, so that's my question. I'm just uh-huh. I'm, I'm fascinated. And then uh, I think the insight for me, you know, the thing that I always find is like we're all so different. You know, like we all serve different types of of people. Yet the, the you know the, there's so much that actually unites us and. And so like, it's, you know, we're, we're also different, but like a lot of the same principles can help, you know, an athlete, a CEO, hell, someone that just wants to create a new, a new career. And so, you know, it's always, it's always useful to, I guess my insight is just like, you know, that there's a lot of these principles that, that don't just help like the people that we're, that we serve, but it can really be helpful for everybody. Keith, you want to go ahead and answer uh, his question as far as what you do? Oh, yeah. I work with different companies like uh, Deloitte is a client, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, those guys. I Again, I started the Congressional Yoga Association under Obama. Like I, like I just, uh, for the charity work, I have a Light Up Foundation here. We do a lot of work across the country here in L.A. I was just, uh, you know, getting a doctorate, like I was mentioning, uh, honorary doctorate from uh, Nigeria. I was, the ceremony was April 7th, but that's been postponed. But like, I've made it a, a point of just being of service. And I think that's what we're here for, to, to help. And, and, and the first lineage, the first line of nutrition is human connection. So us coming together to connect in the various languages and ways we present it, uh, we, we, change, we change worlds, we change lives. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's my purpose now. Keith, do you have a, a question or any insight that you've gleaned from this conversation? Question for either anyone else on the panel or any insight? Yeah, just I'd just love to know more about how you got into the practice, uh, what really led you to it. I know uh, uh, I've heard a couple of things, but there's some, you know, the deeper stories of, of, of how that happened. I'd be curious to know more uh, and how, why sports uh, I know, uh, and, and what do you see consistently in the sport world, uh, Stu, and, uh, and um, things like that. So that would be my question. Stu, yeah. Stu, why don't you take it? I mean, I think that I got into it from a practice standpoint. Why did I begin practicing is because I think from a very early age, I was fascinated by the mind and why we feel the way we feel and, uh, and probably self-improvement. Um, and how that connects with everything that we do. Um, But I I think that what ultimately was happening was that I was in a career that was close um, to what I was about, but it wasn't quite enough. It wasn't quite deep enough. There was something that was missing and I was searching uh, and I read the book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, uh, and that sparked all sorts of thoughts and really made me say, I, I need to figure this out. I need to, I need to experience it and, and try to uh, learn from it and see what it will do for me. And, and the reason, and I'm just being very honest, which is a good thing, ultimately, that what I learned from that was that at first I didn't feel anything. And I was like, shit, I'm reading this book. It was great. And I'm, I, I want to feel so much more and from it. And I didn't. And so it's very helpful for me uh, now when I'm working with clients to say, no, don't, don't stop. 
you know? Uh, and yes, you're right. You do sometimes feel like your mind is all over the place and that you can't figure it out and you can't get locked in and you can't uh, be present to it and all these different things. Yes, that's normal. Stop. Don't, don't think that that means you're not good at this. That, that just is this. And so from there, that's what allowed me to, to build was, was that. Um, but I also think that for me, uh, when you say why sports or how did it come, is that, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm as competitive as they come. I love to win. I love this. I love that. I loved sport myself. But at the end of the day, I think that I knew that what, there's got to be something bigger than just winning or losing. There's more to this. There's more to the, the connection. There's more to the struggle. There's more to all the learning that happens. And it just kept drawing me and drawing me and drawing me. And then I wanted to be able to give back somehow, some way to how is this tool that I found so useful for me? How can I give that to others? And it's funny that you said about the, that we're all in this thing to just as, as helpers to, to help others, because, uh, you know, one of the things that I do with athletes and, and coaches is to get them to give me personal mission statements. But I started with my own personal mission statement and it's the guiding light for everything that I do. So Brian mentioned a lot of the things that I've been able to achieve and some of the, you know, the, the wins, the championships, the trophies, and it's, a wonderful thing. But at the end of the day, I never started in any way, shape or form to do that, nor do I need that. All I want is to be able to say, if someone's working with me, was I able to help them get closer and closer to whatever it is that they're seeking and they want to achieve and they want to feel? And if I do that, I know uh, that the byproduct ends up being working with great teams, working with great individuals, some trophies along the way, you know, and all some money, monetary reward for it. But like none of that is the goal for me. It's only this real simple vision of can I help the people that I'm with? And if I can, I know that everything else that I need will spring from it. So that was really it is again it's that connection that we're all talking about. Very different experiences are different. Who we work with is different. Doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I feel like that theme it was very clear from, from all of us. Stu, any other questions that, that are inside you that you, you want to get out? It's not so much question, I don't think, is more insight is that one of the things that I was really hoping for from this is, and this is going to probably sound super selfish, is that I wanted to be with other people that have knowledge and insight and experience that I could hear. I'm so often the person that's being asked about how do I do and what should I do and all that kind of stuff. And I'm giving that insight and it's, it's a wonderful thing, but man, I, I just like today was so cool for me and I known that I wanted to do that more, but this insight was that, yes, I was right. I do want to do this more. I do. I love being able to hear from you guys and your experience and take me deeper into my own practice and thoughts on it. So, you know, it's, a, it's my appreciation is, is to you guys for sure. Awesome. Reach out anytime. We'll yeah, I mean, I, I, hope that, I hope that what we've that's, done is create this, uh, you know, community again, you know, uh, that's to me is a really big deal. And, and I, 
don't have enough of it sometimes in, in, in the actual practice. So this is really cool for me. So again, well, thank you. I'll hold you all accountable next time I reach out and <laughs> do one of these and you're busy and you're ripping and running and we'll make sure we make it happen. But uh, Keith, why don't you start? Let people know where they can find you. I know you're on social, uh, you've got a website and then we'll go to Stu and then one with Steve and, and, and we'll, we'll call it a day. Yeah, so my website is keithmitchell59.com, keithmitchellmindfulness.com. Uh, my Instagram, keithmitchell59. Uh, that's also my Twitter and Facebook and so forth. I have a new book coming out, The Mindfulness Playbook, uh, eight, eight, uh, eight Strategies That Went In at the Game of Life. I just created an, an album on, online as well, a mindfulness meditation album. And I have a supplement line because I'm a herbalist, nutritionist, and I'm, uh, it's coming out called a meta. Uh, will be out in a couple months. So, Keith, when is the book out? Well, the book is ready. Uh, we're just, you know, in limbo here with our Corona schedule and 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 things like that. So, but it's ready. I'm excited for that to hit the market. Uh, so. uh, I'm looking for a signed copy, so I'll be I'll be hitting <laughs> you up for that. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Stu, why don't you go next? There you go. Uh, yeah, all my social media is under uh, Well Performance, uh, one word. Uh, so in particular, Twitter and, and Instagram is where you'll find me most. Um, I do have a Facebook uh, business page that's Well Performance Sports Psychology. Um, and I created uh, an app uh, two years ago, I want to say. In fact, two years ago, right about this month, um, called Do So. Uh, D-O-S-O, one word, and it is a performance psych slash uh, mindfulness um, app uh, that, that, I, um, that I use and that I try to have all my athletes and teams use. And uh, so that is a big thing that, that we've done over the last couple of years. And then, um, and then lastly, I am in process. I've been working on, and this has given me the time to complete uh, a, a full um, online uh, master course, uh, in, in performance psych, um, that is definitely mm. tied to, there will be a part of it. That's just a section of it on, on building our mindfulness practice. But obviously a lot of my teachings are all t connected to, um, you know, attention and, and how we train the mind. Awesome. Steve. Sign me up. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Love to talk to you about it. Yes. We got a signed um, book. We got a signed I, book and we got a, a, a <laughs> subscriber or, or, or participant. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> and uh, everybody can find me online at, at um, yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, uh, my, my handle is at Schlaff, S-C-H-L-A-F is in Frank. And um, I also have a blog. You can, you can read about it on Twitter, but it's schlaff.me. And um, yeah, I, I, I read a lot. I try to write a lot and um, share, share myself with the world. So uh, reach out, say hi, and uh, you know, maybe I can help you in, in a number of ways. Sweet. Love it. Awesome. I follow all three of these guys on social media. So highly recommend you do that. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson and then Instagram. I do intentional underscore performers. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Fellas, thank you so much for your time. Uh, till we meet again in person. Um, appreciate your time. Appreciate your willingness to share and uh, look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you. Yes.
Bye, everyone. Thank you. Great meeting everybody. Thanks, Brian.